What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Steel Mace Nation podcast. Uh, I'm doing an interview today, and as you can see, if you're watching it on video, sitting with me on the Zoom call is Don G. Ferdano from Florida, and he is the man behind Addicts Mace and Clubs. You guys should know that by now if you've been listening. Don, you've been on a few times, and... I did have the pleasure of seeing you down in Florida uh, for the Vintage Strength Games right right when this uh, COVID virus was just starting to pop off here in the United States. I, I, caught a, I caught a flight down there, hung out with you and the, the rest of the Florida gang, and um, I had a great time. You know, we became friends down there if we weren't already, but dude, we have been talking a lot since then phone calls and stuff like that and you know we've really i don't know you know i think i think uh we got a lot of energy you know that with, i i made the joke the other day when you called me i was like oh it's two hour donnie you know we always talk for about two hours right <laughs> and then yeah. and then it's like dude we, we we're both busy guys we gotta go so what's up don thanks for coming on again Fred, I, I love being on the show. You know, you know, you know, I like being on podcasts. I'll, I'll do anything to get in front yeah. of the camera. So if anybody's listening, you know, like, you know, I'm just a ham for that. Uh, am I am I crooked on there? I, I think I'm crooked a little bit. Let me. Yeah, there we go. That's a little better. You're, Got, you're Italian, right? Mace. You're Italian. You're Italian. Well, yeah, slightly crooked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I got. I'm rocking my Mace Fred shirt today. You know, if, if people don't know, you know, we're tied it. Adex is tied in with Mace Fit, and it's a big training program that I'm a proponent of. As we are tied in with Mark Wildman now, and with uh, the BKFC, especially with that's the Bare Knuckle Fight Championship League, especially with you know Hector Lombard and. You know, he's he's uh, pushing us through that organization. So, you know, a lot of big things are happening this year. And, dude, last year, like right before COVID, wasn't that awesome at, at Lionel's gym at Lionsprung? Oh, my God, that competition was nuts. What, what, what did we have, 26 athletes there? Yeah, it was, it was very impressive. Um, the place was jam-packed, and everybody was like, I mean, you know, the guys came, who came in from California, um, Wong and Scott and, Wong, and yeah, and you know, and I mean, Brad came down from Virginia. Yeah, I came down from Jersey. I mean, you're from Jersey, yeah. Like half the group came from. They, they had to do a, a haul to get there. Yeah, Valerie came down. I mean, right. it was it was that was that was probably the most fun competition, the Mace competition since we've been doing them for over the past five years, you know, between all the different uh, organizations that did it and now sanctioned by the AMCCA led by Brad Hutchins and Valerie Pulowski. So, you know, that dude, stuff's just happening, man. And, you know, it's about time this modality shined. I, I think this is the new, this is what the fitness industry is looking at right now. You know, this is the future of fitness. Yeah. I, I want to hear, about the the bare knuckle thing um I, just to share with you um and and the audience i had the opportunity yesterday to actually train two guys who are mma fighters they're in uh new jersey here with me and they're um it was a connection i made through the fire department uh a guy i work with his brother is training um under the tutelage of a, of a more established fighter 
um, and they wanted to experience the mace and the clubs. And I was like, oh, I got, <laughs> I got something for you guys. I brought everything I had. Most of it, like the heavy stuff, was just to show it off and show them what the possibilities are. But, um, of course, they loved using Adex stuff. Um, and they didn't really know anything about the clubs. And we, were st we started off with the mace. And then when I started pulling out the clubs and I was just showing them some of the exercises, like the mace fit exercises, things you could do with clubs – they were blown away and they were dripping sweat. And that was, that was my whole thing. These guys are in condition. Fighters are in condition. They can last a long time. And I got them winded. I got them dripping sweat. My job was accomplished. Um, and I think it's going to pop off big time um, as, as far as MMA is concerned or any type of fighting. But you mentioned bare knuckle. Can you tell oh, us yeah. a little bit about that and, and what's going on with that? Because that's relatively new, right? Yeah, that's that's only a few years old. I mean, there's been some leagues. I think Europe's had a league for a little while, but and I don't know the association with the BKFC here in the United States, which is owned and run by David Feldman, who's out of Philadelphia. And he's, I believe, either a second or third generation boxer. You know, his dad owned a gym prior to that. I don't know what his grandpa did, but I, I, I thought I might have heard something, you know, in there. But David, you know, is taking it a step further. He created a league with the bare knuckle fighting. And one of the reasons why it, it uh, attracted him to do that was the reduction in head trauma, believe it or not by the guys not wearing those 16 ounce or 14 ounce gloves on their hands. Cause like, think about it. You're, you're a mace and club trainer. You understand you're, you know, people, people are using kettlebells. They understand ballistic training. If you're an Olympic lifter, you understand ballistic training, put a one pound weight on your hand and now throw it, you know, like at arm's length, you know, with the weight of your body behind it, that's going to go a little bit faster than just your regular hand. Oh, yeah. And also, so these guys, I put now, I think it's it's five rounds, and I believe the round, I'm not sure, don't quote me on this, but I think the rounds are two minutes long rather than three minutes long. And there's a lot less punches thrown, except by the guys that are like under the middle weight area, under the 150 pound weight. Those guys just beat the snot out of each other because, you know, they're 125 pounds. They could just keep hitting each other all day. But a guy, you know, let's say we were mentioning Hector Lombard, you know, who trains with me. Hector is coming into his next fight in a couple of weeks at 205. So basically, he's the size of Mike Tyson, you know, 5'10", 205, yeah. and, you know, fights the same way. So you don't want to get hit by him. You know, everything's – even his jab is a power punch, and he's yeah. fast. Yeah. You know, so, like, he's increased his speed. Uh, back to what it was a couple of years ago. He started getting a little sluggish. He's mentioned that to me. The mace training helped him out to increase his speed. And he's also developing a better bilateral coordination. So the league, it's the league. It's okay. Well, sorry. I don't, I just want, I don't want to lose the opportunity here to just, you know, talk some nerdy talk here about mace and training. Um, but he noticed an improvement in his conditioning just from, Using Mason clubs, mm -hmm. and yeah, he, he 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 feels he got a little faster because of that. 
Really? He got back and, to the speed he used to be at when he was when he was younger. Yeah, because I mean, as far as training is concerned, uh, all the training is the same. You're you're doing the speed bag, you're doing the heavy bag, you're running, you're doing push-ups, you're whatever, whatever was already there before. He's just he's still doing that. He's throwing in mace on top. Yes, he's putting in mace and club training in there. Versus he used to do a little weightlifting before, but now he, you know, he doesn't want to do that. He likes Yeah, that's not going to make you faster, though. No, but he's developing things like, you know, like the way we do the uppercut with the, you know, the over the other shoulder and with the hand up like this, like, like an actual fighter would hold his hand here and throw the uppercut, you know. That's, that's the way he's been practicing with the mace, you know, to develop that, that uh, torso connection, you know, a drive from his it from the floor through his hips up through his fist and that's enabling him with the heavier weight so if you're doing uppercuts let's say with 22 and a half 25 pounds and you're throwing that and you're getting that swing when you're empty-handed you know the hands are moving a lot faster yeah and he's 43 years old and he's still you know he's fighting like a young man fights like a seasoned young younger boxer i shouldn't say it actually would be old for a boxer's age when you hit 30 35 but yeah. you know he's fighting beyond that and this is catching the eye of a lot of guys in that league because a lot of those guys came out of the ufc and the bellator areas the arenas there or they were just doing mma maybe as sport but they got this opportunity that they could box the bare knuckle and it's a very exciting I, I think it's a very exciting um, sport. I think Dave Feldman really touched on something here. They uh, hype the fighters the same, much the same way, you know, the fun way like like yeah. pro wrestling does. Yeah, that's fun. So they have a lot of they have a lot of banter, and these guys all know each other. They've known each other for years, so it's like you know they have a, a network of all of themselves, and they all know each other throughout the different MMA careers that they had. Right. Or the other fight, you know, the other fighting careers, and then they get to do, you know, play, play, you know, compete against each other in the arena here. And I think it's a, I think it's, it's going to be probably the next biggest sport. You know, I, I, I could see the BKFC surpassing the UFC, uh, you know, viewership. They have their own app that you download either on your smart TV or on your phone, and you can watch the fights there. I think it's four ninety nine a month. You don't have to do any pay per views for it. Uh, it's it, you know David made it really accessible, and and uh, he's actually taking care of his athletes too. You know he's 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 one of the few people in the fight games that's you know putting together retirement packages for these guys. And you know this is this is big. I mean like this is wow. really big. You know and it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, and. It I guess, yeah, you're right. It's going to attract a lot of people's attention once, you know, the word is out um, in a big way because the, the first thing right off the bat is it's it's bare knuckle. And yeah, that's a, that's a novelty, right? I mean, nobody's seen that before. Um, Man, we're going we're we're back to the days of like John L. Sullivan where guys were fighting like this, <laughs> you know, like in a cartoon. I like to fight like that. That's my favorite way to fight. It's so, it's so, it's so calculating. These guys, and, and what I noticed too, was the amount of women viewers and fans of this is like much more than any of the other combat sports. 
Really? Like women like this because one of the first things that my wife, Lisa, noticed was that she goes, hey, these guys aren't throwing a lot of punches. You know, once we saw the like the, the lightweight, I don't know what the categories are, but the lighter weight guys, you know, 125, 135 pound guys, 140 pound guys, they were throwing punches like animals, you know, because they're, I, I don't want to say they don't have power punches, but, you know, they're, the chance of, you know, bone is only so strong, you know, it's just, yeah. you know, same amount of strength in us as it is in somebody who's smaller or a lot larger. So, you know, you know, PSI on somebody that's 225 pounds throwing a punch is a lot greater than, you know, somebody who's much lighter, a hundred pounds lighter. So, you know, that, that, as that, as the, the uh, weight categories increase, you see the calculations increase. Like the guys are like more apt to like really size each other up and look for that one opening, you know, that, not just to hammer away. That's because the bare knuckle punch is going to be more powerful or more damaging. So well, therefore yeah. they're operating with more caution. With more caution because they don't want to injure themselves. You know, once one bad punch to you know somebody's forehead, you could break your knuckle. Okay, and then you and, said and, you said earlier when some guys when guys are wearing gloves, the added weight to the to the hand actually makes the hand move faster with more momentum. Yeah, they got more. They got that one pound actually makes a difference. You know, behind the weight of the punch. I don't know what it is. Yeah, I don't, what it, you know what it is. Maybe we can have Tony Lamana, you know, the weightlifting doc, calculate that. He does all the mace, yeah, mace and club weight calculations with the ballistics and the torque and stuff like yeah. that. Maybe we could have him figure it out for you know for the league, and you know that might be an interesting factoid to put up there. You know, for like the nerd people that love you know the, the sports nerds, right? You know, to say all right, well, you take a guy X, you know, with a certain amount of reach, put a glove on his hand that's a pound more than his hand. All right, yeah. now what is now what is it traveling at? Right, right. You know? And and that this is this is important because right off the bat, when you hear bare knuckle, I think a lot of people, I'm I myself included, think, okay, this is more barbaric and it's like like just blood sport. It's like yeah, something man. we see in the movies, just these crazy guys blah, and there's blood everywhere and they're bashing you with the, the knuckles in the face. But what we're really talking about here is that using your bare hands can you could hurt your hand because you could hit the wrong part of the body. You could yes. break a finger, right? You could break a finger on a guy's jaw, even. Um, yeah, it happens all the time in bar fights. I mean, people blast somebody in the face and <laughs> their hand is destroyed. Um, and That's then, right. Never throw with your dominant hand first. Always throw a jab with the. Throw with a jab first. With the, yeah, always throw a jab with your non-dominant hand. Don't never throw the knockout shot first because yeah. you, you might not, you know, you might not have a second chance because your your own hand is broken. Yeah, so, right, right, right. You know, that's 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 so yeah. So it is actually safer for the person being struck without the glove than yeah. it is, you know, for the other person for the uh, and for you know being struck with the glove. Yeah, that now that makes sense. That makes sense yeah. that I think about it. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah. you know, and that's the that's that's a, a big thing too. Like if you're in a, a a multi round fight with somebody and your first round you mess up your hand and you got to go back out and fight again, 
yeah, you're you're going to be less effective against the other guy. I mean, it's 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 an interesting way. And then now you're saying because of this, they have to develop a different strategy to fight. Yeah, it's slightly different than regular boxing. You just can't come out. And so, like when I was a kid and I and I went to boxing at the boys' club, I was tall for my age. So I'd be, when I was in fifth and sixth grade, I was boxing against kids that were in seventh and eighth grade because I was the same height as them, but they had a few pounds on, right. you know, because they were already like young men and I was still like a eunuch. And, uh, <laughs> and so like I had this long reach so I could just like keep tripping, you know, a left jab all day long with these giant boxing gloves on and keep the guy all the way over there. He could never hit me. Right. You know, until guys were a little taller than me or, you know, or, or could get inside. But, you know, that that was my defense. And now you, you now with the bare knuckle, you don't see guys just like trip hammering away, you know, like just pounding away with the jab scoring, you know, like endless points. Right. They're, you know, they're they're ducking, calculating. There's a lot more bobbing and weaving. There's a lot more footwork involved with it. You know, I mean. Don't get me wrong, there is exchanges when these guys, you know, like every now and then somebody's, you know, temper will flare up and the other guy's got to respond to it. So, you know, somebody might get out of control, you know, or or that's the way they're, they want to fight from now on and try to finish the guy yeah. and unload a, a flurry of punches. But you don't see it like every, you know, like how many times you watch boxing matches, especially like with middleweights, the guys come out and just like, Every round, both of them are throwing a flurry of punches, and they yeah. go twelve rounds like yeah. this. Yeah. You know, and then it's like a decisive draw, and you're like, "What the hell? Like, what even happened? You can't even see who's winning." This is definitely more clear cut, you know, in in the fighting, you know, and you can see it. it it's definitely it's definitely an attractive sport, and like I said, you know, the women are watching this because it's a little more heady it's a little more calculated right so it's like an intellectual an intellectual barbarian sport yeah yeah well you know these guys i trained yesterday um really nice guys first of all super nice um and so smart very smart people and we were talking about you see i'm 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 why all right, I, there's a little glitch here there's in the recording. Yeah, I got there's, a, it's, yeah. I, there's a, yeah, something happens. Uh, I, my cat, we got a brand new kitten, and the cat was playing with the wire and unplugged. The cat is um, is jumping over my computer right now. It's it's nuts. But anyway, you, back to the show. Did you put the cat in the fridge so that it's safe now? Yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> my my wife wouldn't like that. But no. So I was training these guys, and they're really smart guys, right? And um, I was—I'm not a fighter, and I'm interested in it. I like watching the fights and everything. And I know there's a lot of thought and um, science. They call boxing sweet science and everything. So um, I was just asking, like, what's it like fighting strategy-wise and everything? And um, my God, the the thought process that goes into one fight, you know, and then gearing up for the fight and being ready to go. And the, uh, the one guy said that he's so amped up before a fight, he has to work out that day before the fight, a couple hours before just to, just to bring him back down to earth a little bit. Otherwise 
if he didn't do that and he hit the ring and at the start of the fight, he would just spin himself out. He would be too ramped up. And, um, you know, like he would do a white workout that day. And he, I said, well, now that you've tried Mason clubs, would this type of stuff also qualify for that light workout? And he said, absolutely. Yeah. I would use lighter mace and lighter clubs and it's just something to move, to keep his mind off of the fight coming up, but also keep him on, on the prime, you know, he's primed and ready to yeah. go. And I was you like, oh, this is interesting. So this is, this is all groundbreaking stuff. You, I don't have to tell you that Don, you know, You've been at this longer than me, but this is like, this is what needs to get out there so people know how beneficial the mace is on all these different levels. This, this is true. Um, I mean, originally, like if you look back 3000 years ago, this stuff was developed for fighters, especially for that area of the world where grappling was predominant you know like you know you look at the ancient civilizations and you go to Persia and you go to Greece and Rome and like grappling was a big thing you know even Native Americans there's a style of wrestling that is conducive to Native Americans which was spread amongst all the tribes you know from Canada all the way down into Mexico into Central America and then you look at their war weapons and their tools Every civilization had a club, you know, a form of a war club, a war hammer, a mace, right. something like that. But it was, you know, the, the Persian and people from India that were the ones that actually developed that system, you know, and started training with it, you know, 3,000 years ago from what we understand. And, you know, that is an area where wrestling was big over there, the Ankaras in Italy. And, and remember the Iron Sheik in, in, in wrestling back, you know, 30 years ago. He used to yeah. come out with the big jories and swing yeah. them around. You know, and, and I, I think Hacksaw Jim Duggan swung them, you know, like he was challenging him to swing them. So, you know, it was kind of, you know, it, and that was in a fun aspect. But now we see the resurgence of this. And I'm going to give credit where credit is due. We would not have this today if it wasn't for two guys that kept it going scott sonin brought the clubs back out like 20 years ago and at the same time you know just a couple years after that jake shannon started teaching who who rick brown learned under and you know rick brown's mr mace man you know he grew up you know grew into this you know this this position in our community you know, I mean, this was, a, this was a modality of obscurity. You know, it was gone. hundred years ago, people knew about this stuff because there was still sword fighting going on. Yeah. And that was the precursor to sword fighting. A stick was the precursor to the sword. So people learned how to train, you know, with that. And then metal was developed and then the sword, et cetera. And, and a lot of the patterns for both mace and club training are, you know, were developmental in sword fighting and sword combat. Yeah. And you got to remember, our soldiers, the officers, carried swords up until the First World War, just a little after the First World War. And that's about the time that Mason Club training fell out of the gymnasiums there. And it went to the adjustable barbell with the advent of that. I forgot the guy's name who, who invented the adjustable barbell, but, you know, I should know that, you know. Yeah. Um... I mean, I should have a picture of that guy's. That that guy should be like, you know, should be my grandfather, my father, and that guy's picture on my wall. <laughs> I thought I knew that. 
That's weird. Do, do I know that, or did I forget it? You know, I forget a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sorry. I, I, it, I, you know, remember back in the old days, you had to defragmentize your computer. Yeah. I need to do that to my brain. You know, like clean out the closet and put new stuff in the file system. Yeah, yeah. I got too many. I think I think we're inundated with way too much information, and you know what? I'm guilty of just m making more in my brain anyway because I go looking for stuff all the time. I'm either obsessed with fitness or firefighting or you know fitness how crazy the world is and you know <laughs> freaking oh, yeah that that's a that's a whole side of your brain just unto itself like how crazy the world is yeah but yeah. i do notice i do notice when i use my mace uh all that stuff goes away and my, and i have like a clean a clean slate oh oh go ahead i was gonna say you it's because you have to think about pretty much every rep you it's not yeah. like weightlifting where it's so simple and and rudimentary and it's just like run yeah. run you actually have to think about even i don't care if you do flow or if you do strength training with your maces and your clubs either way you you're thinking about that rep you're thinking about that rep and i'll tell you what happens when you don't think about it you end up like you know doing some damage to yourself you know so yeah that that, that you don't want to do you and know? is that what happened with you you were you were just kind of going I, through I, the motions yeah it was on a, it, it, we didn't really talk about you, you getting hurt um is that something well, you can share real quick uh, yeah yeah i could share that <laughs> um Actually, when I got hurt, I was afraid to share this. Uh, uh, my doctor told me that I should share it. Uh, I was do I was training heavy with clubs, and I was doing a, a in Mesa they call it a lateral strike in the vintage strength training. This was a, a a side strike, and then I believe that is a side cast in. Uh, in like club bell training. I'm not really sure on the terminology. We got to unify this. Yes. Everybody's listening. We got to get it all together now. You know, Alberto Crane, if you're listening, we got to do this, you know? So um, I I was training heavy and it, I was doing like a, like a, um, you know, like a stimulating set where I was doing three reps with a heavy weight. And then I was going to go into my actual work set. So I did my warm up. I did my like skill set with the three sets of the heavy rate, trying to get it down. When I was on my second set of doing my my laterals, my lateral pullovers, I had put I was using a 35-pound club. I put the club behind my back and I felt this position is very important, that open elbow. It my elbow just collapsed like this, and I felt a click in my elbow. Mm. I put the club down and I shook my arm out and said, oh, it was like my knuckle cracking. Maybe it was just a ligament, you know, just air in the joint or something like that. You know, like typical knuckle cracking. Felt good afterwards. I picked up the club. I put it behind my shoulder again. And when, as soon as I did that, it sounded like sheets tearing. My tricep ripped off. I forgot the point of attachment here. But my tricep actually, uh, tricep tendon ripped off of my forearm bone. And that was due to a bone spur that I had for, you know, from some trauma I collected somewhere in life. Uh, a bone spur was growing underneath that tendon. And that created, instead of having a smooth surface to run over, there was now a bump. 
Oh. So it created undue stress. Yeah, it, like an abrasion point. Yeah, and, well, it didn't cut it. It actually provided leverage for the attachment to rip off my yeah. bone. And that was freaking painful. If my tendon had just torn, it wouldn't have been so bad. Yeah. So, but if you were an out of shape guy, let's just say your whole life you were just whatever, you know, just hung out and smoked cigarettes and watched TV, and you went to go scratch your back, and you know, as, as, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe it wouldn't happen until you get older, but go to scratch your back or you go to grab something, it could have still happened because the bone yes. spur was there, and you would have had actually weaker ligaments, and and they wouldn't have been as like vivacious and everything maybe maybe you know just because you stayed healthy your whole life that prevented the injury for a while well yeah yeah the, the doctor he was actually the uh miami dolphins team physician who i went to and i got a great hookup huh. and um i have to say i i had to pay for this i don't have insurance i don't have health insurance and i, I was treated so fast like you wouldn't believe, I, I was in for consultation on a Monday. I was, uh, I, I mean, I'm sorry. I made a phone call on Monday, had an appointment on Tuesday and was operated on a Thursday. That's wow. how fast it worked without insurance. Yeah, right. And, you know, and, and, you know, like, and the doctor fixed me the proper way. And my tendon was actually glued back on to my bone. So that, that's how the, the tendon, well, actually the bone patch that ripped up with the tendon was glued back in. And it's a, 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 a bio, um, uh, bio-identical adhesive that can be absorbed by your body and it's not, you know, anything that's bad. Wow, that's um, cool. Yeah, and he told me that if I was one of the Dolphin players, he said, I, basically I'd tell you to, you know, you'd be on injured reserve for a year. Mm -hmm. And to really take care of yourself and, uh, you know, to, to, you know, he said, just relax and let your body heal. Unfortunately, the next day after I did this, I mean, the day after my surgery, I was packing orders. I mean, you know, like in a brace and, you know, I, I was trying to pack orders as best as I could with one hand. So, you know, that I, you know, life doesn't stop because you get hurt. Um, what, what did the doctor say about your – did you tell him what you were doing when the – I'm sure you did. You, you explained – Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He actually watched a bunch of my videos before he did the surgery to see ah. what, what I do. He's like, well, dude, you're an athlete. You're getting paid to stay in shape and to show other people these exercises. Yes. You are an athlete. Well, basically, I believe that anybody who works physically for yeah. a living – is an athlete. Those yeah, some form Those of are, an athlete. Yes, your body yeah, is, is the thing that's making you money. Exactly. Like if you're a construction worker, if you're a cell phone tower climber, if you're a fireman, if you're a cop, you're basically an athlete. And I'm not talking the donut-eating cop who calls for backup on every little thing. I'm talking to guys you know, that run face first into the fire. Yeah. And, you know, like you, know, like, you, know, like you guys, a fireman, you know, you guys are, you know, you have to rely on your body to help other people first. And then get yourself out safely. Yes. You know, you and carry the, the, the shit into the fire and back out of the fire and right. clean up. And, you know, if you're a construction worker, you know, you might be charged with, you know, unloading a pallet of, of some bags of cement and you have to walk them 100 yards across a construction site. That's 80 pound bags. People don't do that in a CrossFit workout. You know what I'm saying? And it's 64, 80 pound bags. You know, you know that, that's a lot of weight. Do, 
80 times 64. You know, there's your weight. This is what you move. Now you're walking at 100 yards or up a flight of stairs yeah. or you got to pick it up and pass it to somebody. You know, people don't realize that this stuff still goes on. In, in, type of job- in the sun or in the rain or if it's cold, construction it's workers cold, are always working outdoors. And it yes. doesn't matter what the weather is. And usually the weather is always shitty somewhere. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, like, you know, it's either too hot it, or too cold or too wet. Yeah, the worst, days, the worst days ever are the days you get the most amount of work to do in that, you know, given time frame where your boss is all over you. Yeah. You know, like the snow is coming down sideways or the sun. It, you know, everything on the ground is 116 degrees because it's just so freaking hot out. Yeah, you and know, that so, affects your muscles, that affects your joints and everything. It affects, you, it affects your brain. That's the first thing that goes is your brain. Yeah. Because your body realizes, you know, like it'll start shutting off your 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 thought process, you know, because that requires a lot of stimulation. So, like, if you're thinking about things like, you know, you've got some architectural design in your head, you're not going to be thinking about that as clear as, you know, like you can't get like, – people are, are, like, all, like, tizzy because of something either from a stress – whether it's a physical stress or a mental stress, and they're all like, wait, I got to gather my thoughts. I mean, that's the same thing as working like in the heat, like you're doing. You're walking into a, a building that's burning at like 700 degrees. Now you're in an oven. And on how long can you stay in there for? And then you got to watch your walk, you know, like you got to pay attention to how long the guys are in there for you, who's where, what's going to fall over, everything else. Your thought process starts getting smaller and smaller with the stress. Yes. And then your physical process starts getting smaller and smaller. You might not necessarily get weaker, but your capacity for work is being diminished. Yes. You know, like, why well, I used to be able to run up 20 flights of stairs, but in the seat, I can only do like eight, you know, and, and then the second time you do it, I can only do six, mm-hmm. you know, and then you're now, now you're not thinking. Now you can't run up the stairs. With the same cadence, you know, like skipping steps, running up the stairs. Now you got to hit every step because you, your brain power just, it's not, and your body's getting tired, your brain's getting tired. So like everything's overloaded and it reduces the, your capacity for work, both mentally and physically. And that, that, that's hard. So if you're in this position and you're an athlete, you, if you're a person that works physically, like manually working, you're you have to take care of your body. You have to be able to bend. You have to be able to twist. You have to be able to pull. You have to be able to push. You have to be able to lift. And this is going on all day long. And if you're not taking care of your body, because we found out that going to work and doing this stuff and then actually training are two different stimulations, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, I, I don't know the exact science behind it, but like, you know, like guys who walk all day long, you know, doing all this physical labor, but they're still, you know, they're still with X amount of body fat, which they shouldn't. If they put that much work in the gym, they'd be like, you know, like a, a competitive bodybuilder. I, I forgot what this it has something to do with the stress and the cortisol and you have to do it versus you wanting to do it. Right. There's a whole bunch of other stuff with that, you know, that's tied in with that. Our bodies are like extremely calm. I don't think we know anything about our bodies. All the science we know now, in like a hundred years from now, they're going to be like, those guys knew nothing. Yeah. You know what? I'm a big guy. I like, I like to go off of studies and I like to use studies to explain to people. Cause I, I tell people, well, what do, I'm just a big dummy. I'm not going to tell you nothing. Right. So let's, let's look at the study. And, and this study says, you know, if you work out three times a week, 
you know, your heart is going to do this. Your lungs are going to do that. Your muscles are going to do this. But then I remember how many times I've heard in either a radio show or I've read it somewhere where um, a scientist or a doctor will kind of just say, hey, studies are, eh, you know, you can make a study do anything you want. If you want to get this result with a study, you could kind of do that. So studies aren't really the end all be all on anything. It's just, it's just how these particular scientists, doctors, researchers uh, ran a experiment, how they, how they um, took in the information, how they extrapolated it, their own perception, right? Your own, you know, willy nilly perception. So yeah. How much do we really know? It, it's probably less than we think. And studies are, you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt a lot of the times. And not everything is going to work for everybody anyway. No, that's, that's true. You know, plus we also have to remember what's presented to us basically is advertising for something. Yeah. You know, like, you know, so there's always like, who funded that study? You right. know, if big sugar is funding a study on whether or not sugar is healthy for you. Of course, it's not going to be that bad. They'll probably make even find a way to make it sound like it's good for you because, you know, it's all in how it's spun. Yeah. You know, and yeah, like they make very... cotton candy out of it. You know, they're spinning it. And it's, 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 you know, I don't know. I, I really think studies now, you know, become self-serving and, yes. uh, you know, it, it, it's sad. And like this whole peer review thing, well, who's paying you is also going to dictate, you know, yes. how you're going to like feel. Do you think people are really going to tell the truth about anything? Like, you know, like, if it, you know, stuff doesn't work, let's just say, and it, and the study is funded by the company that makes this thing. Yeah. They, they, if they find something in the study that they don't like, they're going to get rid of that information. Yeah. Because there's it. already tons of money and time put into the thing that they would be throwing it all away. So yes. everybody's like, oh, hey, you know, we got we to gotta make our money back at least. So you know, I know, I know two people that worked in the bioengineering field and they're, they're like, they're scientists. They're, they're biological chemists or chemical biologists, whatever the term is. I don't know about these guys. And they're very smart people. And both of these people have gone into healthcare, health, you know, um, based training for people i'm not going to say who they are but both of them uh one of them has a company that is making uh you know natural skin care products and the other one is a high level trainer mm -hmm. and both of these people uh worked for companies that you know we probably know of that are based out of delaware and they're big you know, they might be pharmaceutical companies or chemical companies. You know, we don't know which one they are. But both of them, th these two people do not know each other by any means, didn't work for the same companies. Yet both of them I met at different times in my life, and they both told me exactly the same thing. The industry is dirty. Peer-reviewed is bullshit. And that, that they had to get out of this field because it just doesn't jive with them being as a human being. They couldn't justify making their $200,000 a year by basically fooling people. That's what they came down to being. Yeah. And, and you, you hear about it. You hear that kind of thing 
it creeps in everywhere. You know, it's it's peripheral. It's a it's not the thing that that the main message is. But if you're if you're daring enough, and if you're not like asleep at the wheel, like a lot of people seem to be, and you just look past it, and you look past what the, the what the narrative is, and then you dare to dig a little deeper and invest your own time, you start to hear a lot of this, read about it, like it's all a big facade. And start start to seem that way, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it, we're we're constantly given conflicting information, uh, you know, and more so than ever, you know. Like if you look over the past twenty years, because we have access to the internet, you know, it's um, you know, it's not just newspaper anymore that's giving you the information, or Newsweek, or Time Magazine, or you know, your favorite news channel that jives with your you know perception of the world. It is like like seemingly everywhere. And for everything that you find that's good about one thing, you can find just as many things that are negative about that thing. Yeah. And uh, I just had a flash across the screen, and, uh, and it reminded me of Fight Club. Remember when Tyler Durden used to pop up in, in uh, what's-his-face's, uh, like, vision? Like, you'd be looking at something, yeah. and all of a sudden Tyler Durden pop in for, like, two or three frames. Something just flashed on there. It's, you know, maybe it's the government listening. Ooh. <laughs> they're, telling you, they're like, Don, shut up. Shut up, Don. Yeah, don't, don't, don't let this out, you know? Like, <laughs> but, you know, and, I'm, and, and, and like people will say, oh, what a crazy conspiracy theorist or anything like that. But, geez, you know, if you, if you disagree with anything, it's a conspiracy if you think about it. You yeah. know, like, you know, so, like, yeah, conspiracy. you know, you can't even have a point on stuff anymore without being called a conspiracy. That's the, that's the new bad word, you know, that somebody could be. Right. A couple, years ago, was, a couple years ago, it was just by the way you voted, it was made you racist. Now, it's, by the way, you, if you don't agree with the thing, you're a conspiracy theorist. I mean, it's right. just, you know, social bullying is just ridiculous. And that's that's the way it is in fitness, too, because uh, there's people saying, you know, one way is the only way. And, you know, maybe these people are going to look at, at a mace or a club and say, no, you know, there's... Exactly. There's, there's no research. There's no research showing this. There's no, you know, there's tons of research showing what you could do with a barbell. Yeah, because it's been around for a while. People have been using it. It's the most exposed thing. But, um, you know, like the guys I was training yesterday, their feedback as individuals, people who are athletes who train, their feedback at how awesome they felt doing it, and they right away recognize the benefits and everything – their feedback right there it could will beat out a hundred studies in, in a minute, you know, because that's real life people. It's real world, you know. It's like, oh, I just swung a mace and I never did it before, and this is what I like about it. And yeah, I want to do more of that. And um, I mean, there's plenty of people doing that now, mace wise, club wise. Um, it, that's what's I think what we should be looking at. You know, sure. Look at look at um, you know they say P.T. Barnum was the greatest showman on earth, right? And I think it was Joe Weider. I honestly yes. believe it was Joe Weider. Yeah. And I've said I don't know if I've said this before on your podcast, but you know Joe Weider basically he brought bodybuilding and weightlifting mainstream. So in 1975. For some stupid reason, my parents knew who Arnold Schwarzenegger and Franco Colombo and Serge Olivia, you know, 
and Lou Ferrigno, all these people were. And I was like, that's because the muscle and fitness took Joe Weider's muscle and fitness went from behind the magazine rack, like basically in a porn shop out into the mainstream. It was on the grocery store magazine rack next to better homes and gardens. And that's right when I was 12 years old. And wait a second. Now there's a magazine that's like normal. It's not like all like, you know, just pictures of buff dudes in it in little bathing suits. This is actually like how to train yeah. and how to eat. And, and got smart guys like Fred Hatfield were writing for him. Right. And they told you that bodybuilding was the ultimate way to stay in shape. That you had to become this bodybuilder. And, uh, and that was the, you know, the way, the way the training was going. You know, that's what they were saying to be, you know, for ultimate fitness. Now, if you, you fast forward this, you know, for, I go from 12 years old to be like, I'm going to be big and strong for football and everything because I was a, a thin kid. I'm not going to say I was skinny, skinny, but I was a thin kid. You know, like uh, I, it took a lot for me to keep muscle on. I, I was an 8,000 uh, 8, calorie a day eater when I was big, when I was doing powerlifting. I've discovered Mason Club training and my whole perception of fitness was fitness used to be a sport. And then I realized fitness isn't a sport. It is actually maintenance of your body. Yes. It's so I think I, I, if I can add to that, it is the um, replacing the missing ingredient in our civilized lives, our, our comfort lives, our not too long ago, people moved around way more. They dug their own gardens. They milked their own cows. They, they built their own shit. They moved their bodies. And we've developed a, a sedentary lifestyle. I mean, even people who work out all the time, they're only working out for one hour a day. The rest of the day, they're sitting around. Yeah, that's only one twenty-fourth of the day. Yeah. They're yeah, sitting they're around, right. man. They're driving yeah. or they're watching and, TV and they're too and, tired because they worked out. And it's like, what's going on? No, what's going on with you? Yeah. Right. Like, I, I, I don't understand when people tell me they have no time to work out. Yeah. Well, I have kids and I have a job and I get an hour commute and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, again, I'm like, there's, let me see your phone. I said, hit me, show me your screen time for the week. Yeah. Yeah, and when seven I see hours. like 20, 26 hours for the week, yeah, I'm like, what are those? That's that's more than a day. Yep. What are you doing on your phone? Oh well, you know my emails. You don't own a business, right? This is this is basic. Well, I play games. Well, how long did you play games for last night? Four hours. Yeah. So you sat in a chair for four hours and played games, but you don't have any time to work out. But somehow. That game is actually important. I, I just don't, you know, understand, do you, understand this crap. Nah. Do you now? Do you recommend? Like, what do you recommend people do? I, guys playing games. I mean, I I don't want to say you can't do that. You know, I mean, maybe that's the thing that keeps you from, Cracking. you know, drinking a case of beer or or killing people. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it could be. Yeah, but whatever it is, it's your own little thing. But. What do you recommend to people about that? I mean, like the games are very distracting on top of all the other stuff with, with the phone and the computer. How does, 
You know what? I, I'm to a point in my life, I think about 45 years old, I finally matured enough. Like, I, I'm a late bloomer. I'm going to admit it. I mean, I was an idiot. I was an idiot up until I met Lisa. You know, so like everything I did prior to that, whether I was making money or living at below the poverty level, which, you know, I, I, I've experienced it all, you know, and um, it, there, you have to realize and anything you put effort into, playing a game is putting effort into something. So how does that benefit you other than entertainment? You, you get what I'm saying? There, right. Is it making you better? Your goal every day should be, what do I have to do to make myself better? What do I need to do to make myself better? It's just like, you know, if, if you wake up and just go through life and life happens to you, that's, that's, the, that's the reasoning of a person that they let life happen to them. Oh, well, I just played games and, uh, you know, I have to, I, I don't bother cooking for myself because it's too much trouble. You know, like if you're over 30 and you can't prepare a meal, Come on, man. You know, that's a little, I'm going to say, you know, you're kind of like failing at life right here. If you can't feed yourself and, and, you know, and going out and buying food, you know, like that's already prepared every, for every meal is not feeding yourself. You know, it only that's takes somebody else feeding you. Yeah. It's like, only, it takes 10 minutes. Yeah. Because if that, if, if all of a sudden, if the world shuts off tomorrow, which we've already experienced a small taste of, all yeah. right. For those of you that haven't been paying attention for the past two years, right. We've experienced the world shut off a little bit, right? Well, how are you going to take care of yourself? If you can't go to a restaurant, who's going to cook for you? Right. Really, who's going to cook for you? If, you, if, if you're incapacitated, who's going to feed you? You know, how are you going to do this? You should be able to prepare basic meals for yourself. You know, and everything doesn't have to be cooked either. You can eat raw vegetables. That's a meal. Cereal's still a meal. You know, frying an egg is a meal. You know? I, I was a I was a king at now I got an unfair advantage that I worked in a restaurant field for 30 years. But when I was a bachelor, I would make sure that when I went home at night, because I couldn't wait to go out, you know, like I would come home, get cleaned up, take care of my dog, do my home stuff, like take care of the yard, the house, everything like that, do my laundry, and bam, I was out looking for girls, right? Because, you know, I was living like a rock star. I'd, crane operator money and then you know and I, I was happy to be you probably feel that way too you know like so oh my god I can't believe I survived today you know like I, I didn't end up in a hospital or in the morgue today yeah you know that feeling yeah I mean you know and that happens a lot with jobs that are like this so you're kind of like celebrating every night you know by doing things so I was and I was single and you know I had money in my pocket I live in South Florida so why not you know join the single lifestyle you know right. join you know, I, I was enjoying the wildlife. So, uh, you know, with getting people to do this, first they have to understand that they have to, like, constantly improve. You've got to do something every day to make yourself 1% better. You know, like, it's 1%. Always try to do just a little bit better. You know, do something a little better, a little nicer. You know, like, I got into the habit of getting up and making my bed at 45 years old. Yeah, I didn't do it prior to that. That's I had never made yeah. before that. Right. But now I make do it as long as you do it at some point in your life. But it sets up a mind. And it was after I watched that, like that army major speech to the college graduates about making your bed yeah. like 10 years ago. That was motivational. So now, yeah, but that stuck with me. So when yeah. you make the bed, 
just the physical act of making the bed. And I always thought that stuff was hokey and BS. Was that, you know, like if you do that, there's some kind of, well, all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the days that I'm doing this, like every once in a while, I won't make my bed. And I'm like, well, I have a little off day. And it's because I realized I didn't make my bed. And, but that sets you up to do something like you're taking the time to make sure something is evenly spaced and, you know, you know, laid out and you do it nice and it looks pretty good when you're done. You know, it doesn't have to be like, you know, you can bounce a quarter off it. Just cover up your bed so you can crawl into a nice made bed. And if you have a bad day, you know, you can still crawl into a made bed at night. It feels nice. It's true. And, and you know what? My wife is very good with making the bed. And a lot of times I'll head up to the bedroom and it's made and it makes me feel good when I see it made. And I go, oh, you know what? I got I to gotta tell her, thank you for doing it. And I got to start doing it more too. So um, it definitely works. Yeah, because it sets your, you, you see the nice bed and it, it looks nice. It looks clean. So your brain just gets a relaxed feeling from it. See, a lot of, yeah, a lot of people don't treat themselves. Right. You know, and, and they believe that, you know, like, oh, I'm a good person because I do stuff for everybody else or they're like, screw it. You know, whatever happens, happens. You know, like there's something there's somewhere in between that. And if you treat yourself well, you find you're treating other people better because your life is just a little more comfortable. Now, that go, now that spills into training. Yeah. So the people that aren't training. You know, I, have you noticed that like most people that you train with, you know, you get a few, you know, like curmudgeons that are all like, bah, 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 you know, like they're, they're just nothing is ever going to make them happy. But that's a very small percentage of the world. But people who train, there seems to be more happy people who exercise on a regular basis than people who don't. And it's very sad that 80% of our population isn't exercising regularly, you know, and, and just that. You know, again, it's taking that little bit of time to treat yourself, even though it's work and even though it, it could be a load or stress on you or something like that to do the workout. Everyone, when they're done with workout, if, they, if they're not injured or, or, you know, got hurt from it, I should say, when they're done working out, everybody's happy. That happy endorphin is, is let out. And sometimes people go for months you know, where they're in a state of like, uh, of like the pre-depression -de -de phase, because there's no joy, there's no, because their bodies aren't doing, there's a there's a, a level of physicality that reduces depression. And if your body's not hitting that, you know, again, we are creatures, we are animals, we are not space aliens, you know, we're not going to magically heal ourselves by thinking about it, right? You know, you have to do things. So when you do exercise and you do take care of yourself and you do make yourself a nice meal and you do make your bed, stuff starts to feel better and you treat other people slightly better because you're content. You get a contentness. And that, that I think a lot of people don't have a contentness, um, you know, due to this. And, and these are simple ways to be able to fight, you know, depression. These are very, very simple ways at, at a, you know, grassroots level to fight depression without having to seek the help of a professional.
you know, before before you have to seek the help of a professional. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. You gotta you gotta do that first before you go to a doctor who's just gonna pump you up with some meds and tell you, you know, you're yeah. and yeah, make yeah, you feel but- more bad about your life because now you're on medicine and he's calling you depressed. He's putting a label on you. He's putting a label on you, but you can't you but outside people can't use that label on the person because then they get offended by it. But the inside people can, you know, it's yeah. weird. Yeah. You know right. what I'm saying? So there's right. something else to get depressed about, right? right? But you know, like, but it's it's a um it's you can't take care of another person properly if you're not properly taking care of yourself. Correct. Yeah. So when you see these, you know, overweight parents that are running around that are the soccer parents and they're driving nine kids to 14 different locations after school. And I do everything for my children. And then you look at them and you're like, you're a poor person. You're like ruining yourself in the, you know, in the guys, like you're almost like, you know, you want to suffer for your children. Yeah. And you're like sacrificing yourself for like, you're being a martyr almost. Right. That, that, that is not, that is not positive. That is not positive because now the kids are seeing you as a wigged out individual yeah. who's just getting physically worse every year. And they get the mindset of, oh, well, my parents ran themselves into the ground, so I have to run myself into the ground. And that makes you more depressed. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, you know, instead of going, hey, mom, you know, take five minutes and why don't you go somewhere? Why don't you get your nails done while I'm you know, at soccer camp and you're driving Joey, Johnny and Jimmy to somewhere else, you know? Yeah. You know, relax, take care of yourself. And when you get to that point where you can do that, you'll find that you evolve as a better human being. It's more comfortable. Life gets easier. The amount of work that you think is going to take away from the time of, of caring for yourself that you're taking away from the time for other things actually rewards you later on, you know, yeah. and not to mention the fact that, you know, you'll look and feel better, reduce the amount of like joint stress that you have. So possibly, you know, not have to have that knee replacement in 20 years or hip replacement, or you're on your way to like your shoulder exploding, or, you know? like your, your elbow tear, your elbow. You know? Yeah. 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 Which, you know? which I really, you know, it sounds like it, you know, you took care of yourself your whole life and stayed in shape and, and, you know, you're, you had a situation with your arm that probably would have happened a long time ago if you didn't, if you didn't work out. Yeah, I, I really think and, that would happen. And yeah, your do- yeah. doctor, I'm sure, agrees with that, right? Or your doctor probably said that. I don't know if, what well, the conversation I, well, was. The, the, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to divulge information here. When I woke up from the operation, the doctor came over like right immediately after I was in an outpatient clinic and I, I got up, the nurse came over and she said, Oh, Dr. Yolis will be right with you. I didn't want to say his name. The doctor will be right with you. You can believe that. And, um, he came over and he says, uh, how do you feel? I said, uh, I'm not sure. And he says, what, what's the matter? His face just dropped. You know, and he, I guess he was waiting for me to say, you know, like I had, a, you know, some weird feeling from the anesthesia or something. Yeah. And I was like, I think I ruined my business. And he says, what do you mean? And I said, well, I hurt myself with my equipment. And I said, pretty bad. And he said, I told you there was a bone spur in there. And I'm like, yeah. And he's like, you got that from a trauma, like somewhere like years ago. 
that has nothing to do with what you did now. He said, that was going to happen sooner or later. See? You know, you were going to, he said, you were either going to cut that tendon or that tendon was going to pop off one way or another. Yeah. He says, can you imagine if you were at a job site and, and you know, he was, he knew what I did for a living and all, all my history. He says, can you imagine if you were on a job site and you were passing somebody something up like this? He says, and pushing it up and you're standing on a ladder and this happened to you? And I was like, holy crow, I didn't even think of that. And he's like, you know, th these things happen. But in life, yeah, I've been exercising since I was 12. I do have to say I did not live the cleanest life. You know, I had my, my drinking days and they lasted for a long time. I got out of them and I got back into them for a little while. And also, too, I used to smoke. You know, I was a smoker. I worked construction in restaurants. Everybody smokes. You yeah. just, it just happens. When I was, I'm, I'm, what, I'm about 10 years younger than you. Um, and when I was a kid, everybody smoked that was older than me. And it wasn't yes. long before I was 13 years old with a cigarette in my mouth because what else i mean and this is in this in the 80s you know like yep. people and were starting to understand a little bit like but yeah you're right it, everybody was doing it back then so um there was ashtrays everybody's house had ashtrays that were they stood by themselves they were on stands for god's yeah. sake yeah you know they'd be next to like you know like two big chairs or something like that in the middle of a dining room table all the food is out there is two ashtrays on yeah <sighs> we would you know, be we would go visit relatives and the whole house was full of smoke. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it was insane. It was secondhand smoke galore. Yep. Everybody smoked and they smoked like chimney. Yeah. I had relatives that used to drive, you know, like, you know, like to Virginia where there was like less tax on the cigarettes to buy. They would buy cases of cartons of cigarettes to bring yeah. back. You know, they're bringing back like $400 of cigarettes in their trunk. Isn't that this commitment? Is Isn't that a massive like vision of commitment right there? Like, hey, I'm planning on smoking all of these cigarettes. Like, wow. what a, How amazing is it? What if people did that with like, I don't know, their vegetables or something? Like, like oh, hey, God. a whole well, bushel did, of broccoli, you know? Yeah, no, I had relatives that did that too because we had – family members that had enormous gardens you know like they were like way too big for like you know living in like you know urban parts of, or like or like a you know suburbs in an urban area that i grew up in yeah. and you know they would have these massive gardens that were as big as their backyard you know these guys were you know like like they did get like 20 bags of cow manure or they yes. would they would get bushels remember when peaches came in like those bushel baskets they're actually yeah. made out of like thin wood and they would go to cow farms and like shovel the crap or underneath, underneath um, I-95 bridges in, in Connecticut and New York. And we shovel the pigeon poop mm. off the sidewalk and put it into plastic bags and bring it home and mix it in our garden. Wow. Pigeon poop. You know? Yeah. And uh, I was also, okay. you know, like we'd, we'd also stop along. Well, you're familiar, you're, you're familiar with the, uh, the Merritt Parkway going into Connecticut and the Hutch. Yes. Hutchinson yes. River Parkway. We used to drive out there. This was with my like like my my parents' aunts and uncles. We drive out there with them, and we just stop on the side of the road, on the side of the parkway, and we go out and dig dandelions for dandelion wine. Yeah, for no, for dandelion salad. 
you know, oh. so like we would eat the leaves from the dandelions and we'd go out and dig them like every other weekend. And we'd go clamming in the Long Island Sound before it got became polluted. Yeah. You know, like, like we'd go out and, and get bushels of these, you know, all this food, you know, and they had these massive gardens. So food was always, like you said, you know, you, you brought up with commands they did that with vegetables. Yeah, my family did that too. They probably come with a half a trunk full of cigarettes and a half a trunk full of broccoli, you know? <laughs> Right, eat broccoli and smoking cigarettes. They cancel each other out. (laughs) Yeah, you know, but back to Joe Weider, you know, with being the, being the, um, you know, like what we were talking about five minutes ago, uh, you know, he sold us, I I don't want to, I used to say a bad bill of goods about fitness, but he got more people involved in fitness than anybody and our parents knew what it was yeah you know and our parents kind of dabbled in it a little bit you know like gyms were popping up like the valleys were opening and and the jack lane fitness centers yeah. and stuff like that so it kind of became a little more mainstream so that was you know it came from subculture out to the mainstream and when your parents are talking about it then it's no longer you know underground you know at the dinner <laughs> yeah. table you know, so like, you know, you're no longer cool, man. Your parents know about that stuff, you know? So that, that was kind of like an eye-opening thing, but I don't think they were, you know, like going back to how things are presented to us with the, with the studies and such like that. Joe Weider presented to us that weightlifting and training like a bodybuilder was the ultimate form of fitness. Yeah. But we found over time that it wasn't because, you know, to maintain that level of, of muscle mass requires a, a lot of food, first of all, you know, which the average person really doesn't need. And if you're not working out and you're eating that much food, you're you're just going to get heavier and heavier, yeah. but not in a good way. Right. It's just going to be fat. Um, you know, so you had to maintain that. But, you know, like as we go towards maces, clubs, kettlebells, this unconventional way of training, sandbags, where you're moving your body and you're not necessarily trying to build pounds and pounds of muscle, but you know, I'll take the 15 pounds extra of mass that I get from my heavy, heavy training during the year. You know, I'll put that on instead of the 30 pounds that I used to do with weightlifting. Um, I, I feel better at 57 years old training and I train predominantly almost solely with maces and clubs since 2014. I'll pick up a deadlift bar every once in a while, like every few months, I'll throw a 315 on a bar and see if I can pull it at least once. I usually get two or three pulls out of it. So that's not, I'm ahead of the curve, you know, I'm 57. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm I'm 180 pounds. So, you know, that's a decent, you know, off the rack pull. In other words, you know, just the- There's 20 year olds that can't even do that. No, no, and that's sad, but it's, it's, you know, we have to profess this to them, but I feel the overall feeling that I get with myself now versus the way that I felt 30 years ago training heavy when I was big, I, I feel like, dude, I feel, I feel like I'm 25 years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and That's... all I do is Mason Club training. Now, when I was 35 you are, years old. You, you act like you're 25. You, well, it, it's, you think like a, a young man. You you act like a young man. You have energy and you're like engaging and stuff like that. You're a lot of people as they get older, they just sort of like dissolve, right? Well, yeah, they become it, less it, like connected and 
you know, kind of mungy. This is life. We got one shot. Yeah. You know, this is, there's no dress rehearsal. We got one shot to have a good time and to do good for others and to evolve ourselves. And, you know, like, we don't have to be at the end, you know, like you're going to be like Mr. Spock on Star Trek. You know what I mean? Like, where you're yeah. going to say, evolve being. But just to, you know, learn about things, feel things, experience things. I was 48 years old. I got laid off from the crane company I worked for. And I got hired by a cell phone tower company. 48, I was. And I was climbing. They found out that I could climb. That they hired me as a crane operator. But then they found out I could climb the towers. Because I used to do the setups on our tower cranes for the crane company. So, uh they were like, you can work at height. And I'm like, yeah, I wrote that in my application. They're like, dude, they're like our, our oldest climber is 32 years old. And then after that, you know, the guy's going to management and I'm like, I'll climb. So I'd be out climbing. And honestly, sometimes I'd have to go up and down the same tower like five times in a day. You know, it's 140, 150 feet. And I'm carrying stuff with me. Climbing up, you know, I got all my safety gear on. They, they, the company made you climb with safety gear. So now you get the weight of safety gear on you, yeah. which makes you tired. The metal's 116 degrees all the time because the sun, Florida sun, yay. You know, and then you're up there, you know, like working and stuff like that. And then you have to hang off the tower to actually work on the tower. You don't so, sit on top of the tower and fix it. You got to hang underneath the antennas. Yeah. To work because so that's where the connections are. So you, you just basically did what everybody else was doing to, at, at a younger age you were still doing it a lot it. younger yeah yeah so that's that's really incredible and i mean i you've mentioned that that before um you know like you're working um physical jobs and everything like that so it's no surprise that you know at this stage of the game spinning a mace and doing all that other stuff is not hard for you to do um you know good it's it's good stuff that you you know, people should really like latch onto this if they can. Um, all your mindset, you know. So you, you know, today was um, some good information from you, Don. I, I, I think uh, it's gonna help a lot of people. Um, I, unfortunately, I'm gonna have to go because I have to go pick up my daughter from the bus stop now. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm gonna go. Yeah, I'm gonna go do dad. that. Huh? You gotta be a good dad, man. But yeah, I gotta show up and pick up my door. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's not too hard. But um, listen, you know, Mace Fit, Addicts Mace, everything. You know, we've been talking about it on the podcast for a while, and um, I think again, as I stated earlier when we kicked this off, it, it's going places. And you know, with the MMA thing and the bare knuckle thing and everything, oh, firefighters. Yeah. Um, I just want everybody to know that's listening to the podcast that you know. We've been working with each other. You know, you've been a sponsor of the podcast. I've been supporting you guys. And um, this is all because we strongly believe in something. Yo, Lisa, what's up? You hey, showed up you? at the end of the podcast. What's the matter with you? Um, you I've been trying not to make noise downstairs. Oh, uh, okay. I heard, I heard a vacuum cleaner going. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> But nice yeah, I, you know, friend. this is this is something we've been doing because why, Don? Because we believe in it, right? Because this is something oh, yeah. that's impacted our lives tremendously. So um, I look forward. You know what? I got to get you back on again. Like, 
you you're, you have so many stories and and uh next time you come on which is going to be soon you wrote a book so let's leave a little cliffhanger there which one you you wrote a book you were telling me about the book and you uh, got some the novel yeah Oh, I, I think that's right. so yeah, neat. Yeah, yeah. So, so we'll talk about that the next time. So, you know, pay attention to Don, everybody. This guy is a, is a mover and a shaker. Um, and hopefully I'll get down to see you pretty soon. All right, Don? Yeah, you got it, brother. Well, we got the competition coming up in August. Yeah, in yeah, uh, yeah, before we go, shoot out the date and let everybody know. That is August 14th and 15th in Orlando. You can find it on the AMCCA website, which is the American Mason Club Competitive Athletics. I believe it's all written out like that, .com with Brad Hutchins. If you, if, if you guys find Maceworks Brad on Instagram, Maceworks with an X on the end of it, Brad Valerie Pulowski, which you know, everybody's tied in with Fred and the Steel Mace Nation and with AdX. So you guys can hit me up with that information. So we've got that. And, and also Frank DeMeo, he's going to be, he's going to be there. You know, there's Macefit stuff going on that weekend too at the, at the same event, which is going to be instructionals. And I believe there's going to be a workshop or certification that Frank's doing. So, you know, it's, it's all tied in together over there. Make sure you guys watch Hector Lombard's fight. He's a mace swinger. He is going to be fighting on the BKFC. Get that app on your phone. It's $4.99, bkfc.com. That's Dave Feldman's league. You can see all the bare-knuckle fighters there. Exciting, exciting boxing right there. And mace swinging, you know, a guy who's a, a mace trainer and club trainer is going to be fighting. And he's spectacular to watch because, you know, he's he's got a lot of personality and talks a lot of smack so it's a lot of fun and we got all that and then uh what else is going on uh we have brad that and uh i think that pretty much covers it all for what's coming up yeah man that's it that's the important stuff that's happening right now everybody so uh check all that out oh, yeah. Hector, yeah hector's fight is june 26 and it's going to be in miami at the hard rock stadium Okay, June 26th. Nice. June 26th. And, and he's one of the headliners. He's co-headlining that fight that night. So yeah. if you guys want to see what Mace Training does for a fighter. I know I I'm going to be watching. Yeah. I got a funny feeling he's going it, to, it's going to be a good fight. And we're, we're, we're going to see, we're going to, we're going to be smiling for our Mace guy. Yeah, definitely. So everybody could get that on the, the Bare Knuckle app. So everybody could just download the app and you could watch the fight that way. And it's real mm -hmm. simple and easy. Um, real simple. Just, just get the app. Yep. Get and, the app. It's, it's worth And then it. make sure you check out the Vintage Strength Games. Like Don said, it's the uh, 14th and 15th of August. All right, man. Yes. In Orlando. I appreciate Florida. you. Thank you very much. And I'll be talking to you real soon, man. All right. See you on the platform. All Peace. right. Yes. Take care, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Thanks, Fred.